This is the Eminem Planet Podcast, episode 52. I'm your host, Joel Amidon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to figure out how to teach better. Today on the podcast is the final episode in the Book Club of the Bonus series that we started this summer. We've had a few interruptions along the way. We started the the Transition Years podcast uh, series that's going to be airing on this feed. Also, we um, tragically lost uh, Bob Moses, uh, civil rights activist and mathematics education activist who passed away in late July. Um, Had a chance to talk about his life and legacy through his book, Radical Equations, and had a conversation with Dr. Eris Winger on that. You can check out episode 50 if you missed that. Um, But we even actually just read a little bit uh, about Bob Moses this past week in my class here at the University of Mississippi. And just, you know, think about what he talked about with math being a gatekeeper to citizenship. And also thinking about some of the stuff that he talks about in the book and and just really honoring the experiences and mathematical sense making of students and thinking about it well what does that look like translated into school mathematics and and wanting to help as many people as possible get through that gate and to uh, uh, raise the floor of of where uh, people's mathematics experiences could be and again if you've never read radical equations and you have any sort of interactions with math education which most of us do that's a great book um to think about. So anyway, going back, we're, we're in the book club in a bonus series. And so again, this is the last episode in that series. And so this, uh, the book club in a bonus series were all about giving materials that were accumulated around these book clubs that we did for, through the Teaching Math Teaching podcast. So um, we have a decent amount of material, definitely a decent amount of materials for this, especially this book. And this book is uh, Teaching Math at a Distance uh, by Teresa Wills. She has a lot of materials just in general on her website, which we'll link to in the show notes. But then we have all the book chats that we have. And then her book in general is pretty powerful with regards to thinking about teaching math uh, using virtual means. And then I'm taking some of those principles and then putting them into my own teaching now. So what kind of tapping into this idea of resilient teaching so that if modalities need to change, which... Yeah, I'm in Mississippi, and if you want to look, learn a little bit about mathematics, look at the numbers around Mississippi. And if there's a chance we could go virtual, like, I'm ready. Like, my teaching is resilient. And so taking some of those princ- principles of resilient teaching and knowing that no matter the modality, I'm going to be okay with regards to my teaching. You know, face-to-face is, I, I love face-to-face, and I want it to be face-to-face, but if it's not, my teaching can hold up. And I think some of the principles that uh, Teresa teaches in her book, Teaching Math from a, at a Distance, is, uh, helps, helps with that. But last time uh, on this in this series, we talked about the um, thirst, which is the autobiography of the Charity Water founder and CEO Scott Harrison. So that was the bonus part, uh, and I shared a little bit on the podcast uh, about the transition series uh, or transition years podcast series that we're airing on this feed, which focuses in on providing better mathematical experiences for all students in the last two years of high school and the first two years of post secondary education. That effort is being facilitated by Dr. John Staley, so we had a great conversation with him, so that was on the last episode, and um, also being facilitated by the good folks in the Launch Years Mathematics Organizations Leadership Network and the Launch Years Initiative at the University of Texas at Austin, Charles A. Dana Center. You can check out amidonplanet.com forward slash transition years for more information on those efforts and all the great programming being created for this initiative. So, and again, anyone that's interested in that, those transition years, that's going to be awesome. I mean, the podcast details all the different stuff that they'll be doing, and I think there's lots of great information there on how to better the math experiences for those going through the transition years. 
You can also subscribe to the Amazon Planet Podcast if you're looking for more. So the next time a episode of the Transition Years pops up, it'll show up in your podcast feed. This week, the featured book, Book Club, and again, I've already mentioned this, is Teaching Method at Distance, Grades K-12, through A Practical Guide to Rich Remote Instruction by Teresa Wills. Again, if you've listened to this podcast, especially last summer when I had uh, Dr. Jen Wolf on, we talked about all the different things on how to teach online better. And a lot of the content that Jen shared with me was from Teresa. And so it was pretty awesome, like eventually getting to meet Teresa virtually, obviously, and having the book club with her about her book and all the different things that she has going on with regards to supporting good math teaching uh, online. And so that book club, uh, the culminating episode is what you're going to hear at the end of this podcast uh, at the end of this podcast episode we're going to show we're going to share the teaching math teaching podcast episode which was the wrap-up episode to that book club but then again at the show notes for this episode which would be amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 52 you'll get all the materials that we have so the there's a flyer that has the breakdown of how we read the book and the um sessions of the book chats that we had dusty jones joined for a lot of those so it's Teresa and dusty jones um Teresa wills the author and dusty jones from the teaching math teaching podcast joined for a lot of these conversations so we have a bunch of conversations so there's each of the the chat sessions you can access them on facebook and on uh, youtube so either one that works for you and you can see the conversations that we had around the content of that book and then you also get pointed to all the content that Teresa has on her website so she has this mather days thing where she records her going through a um a messy task a good high level like open-ended task where you know you know the kinds of tasks that you want your students to uh get experience with and thinking about and struggling with you know that productive struggle so you get to see that and so anyway lots of great materials lots of great stuff exposing you to that um i'll stop talking because you'll hear more about it in the uh, the culminating episode that will air at the end here. As for the bonus, um, I'm going to do some shameless self promotion. So we, um, well, I started another podcast. You're like, Amida, take a break, man. Yeah, yeah. We started another podcast. Uh, myself and uh, Dr. Ann Monroe at the University of Mississippi. We started a podcast called The Teacher's Journey: Mile Markers on the Road to Better Teaching, and it really is. It's about documenting the stories of teacher development. So. Here at the University of Mississippi, we do portfolios. Um, and anyone that does has an accredited program, most likely you're doing some sort of portfolio where you're having students gather their um, meaningful experiences on their development as a teacher. Now, I was at the University of Wisconsin when they first started this idea of portfolios. I think there's a law called PI 34, maybe, where portfolios were going to be implemented. We didn't actually, my my class didn't actually have to do portfolios and so we kind of but they were like piloting them so we got the chance to like see it and you had to like use Dreamweaver which was a decently complicated program to create the portfolios but they had a template they had all these things that kind of helped us create it but I know during the program I didn't actually understand what it meant to really grab this portfolio I didn't know maybe if I wasn't you know (laughs) my mind wasn't developed enough to really think about how am I growing as a teacher? Now, looking back, I can identify all these mile markers of my development. So what we're trying to do is help create this sort of DNA, help support the DNA of what it look like to document mile markers 
of development as a teacher and think about like, what are these amazing? And what's cool is they're all story. There really is, it's capturing stories. And so that's what we're really trying to do with the portfolio is capture stories. And so I've seen them and my colleague, Dr. Ann Monroe has seen them in our coursework where we're trying to get students to document their, or think about their, their own development as teachers and to put those things in their portfolio. So what we want to do is support that work through the podcast because, Hey, let's document these stories. We can connect to the, the portfolios and can really show what does it look like to do this work well and so my um my experiences after being an undergrad in the program was to then come back and do i did my doctoral work at the university of wisconsin on wisconsin and i supported uh teachers in developing portfolios and then brought that um brought that sort of understanding about portfolios and development and thinking about how do we best grow as teachers and bringing that to the university. So that's what we're kind of doing. We're doing this um, reflective sort of approach to development and thinking about uh, a good teacher is one that can, a good person is something that you do something, you think about what you did, you think about how you might get, like how you can grow and learn from that experience and then put that into play as you go and engage in that thing again. So whether that's... uh, teaching or uh, being a, a, a salesman or a basketball player, whatever, whatever you're trying to do, if you're engaging in reflective practice, you're doing pretty good. And I think even um, in that Outliers book, was it Outliers? Where, where uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000 hours. It's not 10,000 hours, just period. Like if I just spent 10,000 hours sitting in front of a pan- piano, I'm not going to be an expert pianist, but it's like that deliberate practice, right? And I think that's what we're really talking about here is like, what does that deliberate sort of reflective practice look like and how do we document it? And so that's what the podcast, the Teacher's Journey podcast is, uh, the Teacher's Journey mile markers on the road to better teaching is meant to document that sort of thing. So we've launched that. And um, if you're paying attention to at Amazon Planet on social media, you're going to start seeing some mile marker Mondays where we're going to drop podcast episodes. So that's going to be the plan going forward. We've got, I think, three of them up now, but we're kind of just rolling out each of them. We just launched the trailer as of the plane of this, uh, or the release of this podcast episode. We just kind of promoted the trailer. Then we're going to promote each episode for one week. And then once we have that done, then we'll start putting out new episodes, I think, every two weeks, what we're going to shoot for. So that's the bonus. It's shameless self-promotion. But, you know, the podcast, this podcast is all about learning how to teach better. And that one's kind of about documenting uh, folks that are, and how the, the places where they learned how to teach better. And they're, they're putting, again, it's like a historical marker, those green signs you see all over town here in Oxford. Um, these, those things that say, Hey, something important happened here. And that's really what we're doing is we're identifying those important spots in the development of teachers. So again, that's called the teacher's journey, mile markers on the road to better teaching. So you can check that out wherever you get podcasts. And that's the end of this, uh, shameless commercial for that podcast so but without further delay i want to get into this um final episode of the teaching math teaching uh podcast no guilt book club series that we did on teaching math at a distance with Teresa wills again this is the culminating episode of the book club where we kind of review what we talked about and then um wrap that up so it, it works on its own, but then it also leads into all this other content. And if you're looking for that content, you can go to AmazonPlanet.com forward slash episode 52. All that book club content is there. 
um, if you want to use this book club for yourself. That's the whole point of doing this book club in a bonus series. So we've got four book clubs available. So we've got the this one. We've got the Reimagining Math, uh, math the Math Max Classroom that we did the, the last uh, the last episode. We also have the High School Math Lessons um, book by uh, Staley. Conway, uh, Lawler, and Barry. And then we also have uh, Rough Draft Math with Mandy Jansen. So lots of good stuff there. But enough talking. Here is that episode of the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast where we're wrapping up our No Guilt Book Club of Teaching Math at a Distance by Teresa Wills. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators. The hosts are Ava Thanheiser, Dusty Jones, and I'm Joel Lambadon. Today, we are happy to welcome back Dr. Teresa Wills from George Mason University because she is the author of our Teaching Math Teaching Podcast, No Guilt Book Club, that happened this past May of 2021. We read and discussed her book, Teaching Math at a Distance, Grades K through 12, A Practical Guide to Rich Remote Instruction. Every week, we did a discussion on Facebook Live and YouTube and are finally wrapping up the No Guilt Book Club with this culminating podcast episode. Welcome, Teresa. How are you? I am great. Thanks for having me here. And we have Dusty. Dusty, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I am really glad to be here having this conversation. This has been a high point of my summer so far. Awesome. Awesome. There we go. And unfortunately, Ava is not able to join us today, but we will uh, we will carry on. So, all right, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, and in the spirit of the No Guilt Book Club, which we've kind of put out there as a way where, hey, whatever level of engagement you can get into it, we just appreciate that. So if you're able to read the book from cover to cover, that's great. If you're able to join in on some of the chats, um, or maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of this book and you just hit play on the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast, you're like, what are we talking about? So in that spirit, Teresa, can you summarize the main ideas of the book? Sure. So uh, this book is all about taking all of the things you do in an in-person math classroom and do them online without reducing student voice. They are the ones who are the creators, the investigators, and they're the ones who have a voice in your class. But in the spirit of the No Guilt Book Club, the way it's written is you can pick it up, open to any page, and there's about a page and a half reading, and you're like, oh, great. Okay, I can take this and go. Uh, and so the no guilt part is it's one of those things where you don't have to read cover to cover. Um, you can read a, a section. There's a lot of vignettes in it. Um, and, you know, it's all about taking a small nugget and going and, and implementing it. That's, that's pretty darn good. And I, I would just add on top of that, too, like there's a lot of uh, texts and other things that you've referenced in there too. So you're like, Ooh, like, Oh, the five practices. Ah, I see. How uh, can I do that in this, uh, in this different modality and stuff like that. So I definitely, uh, appreciate that. So can you tell us a little bit, Teresa, about, uh, the history of this book, how this book came to be? Absolutely. So I've been teaching online now for over a decade. And when I say online, I mostly mean synchronous uh, courses. Um, it started off with this uh, kind of old school platform that it did have video, but everyone was really pixelated in it. So we didn't even have video. We had voice and microphone and a text box. And we were trying to communicate. And one thing that was really important was representations. We needed to see how we investigate math problems, solve them and more. 
So we started using Google Slides as our main source for it. People would put up representations, whether it was a photo of their work, whether it was mm. their own creation. Um, and that was really the, the history of where my work was. As, um, you know, the years went on, I, you know, really investigated what are things that I do in an in-person classroom and how do I do them in an online class? And one of the ways I did that is um, through several sections of a math specialist program, I would do one face-to-face -face with a 10-minute break, and then I had the other online, and I wanted those to be as similar as they possibly could in terms of investigation, representation, student communication, and student voice. So this was kind of my background of where I came into this, um, and, you know, being completely engrossed in this online learning and making this, you know, my preferred style of teaching um, was, you know, beneficial when the pandemic came and people were trying to figure out how do I have investigations? How do I have students showing their representations and having a voice in my math class? Uh, so, you know, one of the first things I did is I started doing a lot of professional development for basically anyone who wanted to hear what I had to say. Um, I uh, also went on a global math department. They had one uh, last night, actually. Um, but they have some great PDs, and I was able to talk with them. Uh, Corwin, uh, Aaron Nellick Corwin, uh, contacted me and said, hey, like, can you get this all down in a book? And I was like... Huh. Yeah, I've got, I've been, I've been writing about this for a while. Let me, you know, condense it in here. Uh, and so that's kind of how it came to be. It, it came from a lot of experience, a lot of written papers that people didn't really have an audience for yet. Uh, and then when it was time to write the book, there was finally a place for it. Yeah, this is, you know, uh, maybe a shout out to Corwin. Like this is our second Corwin book. Then they're doing some some good stuff, like reaching out and getting some stuff that people really want. So this is good. Um, so you got the history of the book. And so then we had our, you know, we had a chance to do some, when we, when did we do our original podcast? We did it like what in January, I believe we had a conversation January, February, somewhere around, around mm -hmm. there. Yes. And we're like, Ooh, we gotta, we gotta talk about this book. And so we had the book chat again, book chats all throughout May. And so with those book chats, uh, you know, there's a combination of us three in the in a virtual room every now and then. And then we had some people online that were sending us some questions, too. So what were some highlights from those weekly book chats? And Dusty, you're going to get a chance to do this one, too. So everyone, everyone's going to have some highlights. But sorry, Teresa, I cut you off. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, I think one of them was uh, just chatting with people about okay, I, I bought into this. Now, how do I actually do it? Um, and then um, that part was, you know, relatively easy to talk about um, the advantages of Google Slides and how you share something through editing. Uh, but what really came out of it is the pedagogy. So my pedagogy is the exact same, whether it's in person or it's virtual. Um, and so one of the highlights there was really kind of um, bringing out that pedagogy and being able to communicate with people um, that it's the same thing. Let's just figure out the little modality feature. Um, so that was kind of the, the, the main one that, that popped out for me. And the other was being able to share the great resources where my pedagogy has changed. You mentioned the five practices already. Jennifer Lump's book was the, um, the, uh, ideas for chapter nine, and that is math workshop. Um, and every chapter I kind of start off with like, Hey, this is the book. This is the researcher. This is the author that informed my instruction in an in-person class. 
And now here's how I'm going to take it online. Um, so I, I hope that I did uh, their work justice and uh, bringing the pedagogy there um, and then just kind of talking people through how I've adapted it to the online space. So I think the highlights that I had um, personally as, as we had these chats were being able to reflect on the different online experience, online teaching experiences I've had in the past. You know, I, I've taught online for maybe three or four years now, uh, but in the last 12 months taught in a lot of different modalities, you know, uh, in synchronous, in asynchronous um, in, in a, events where we have some people in the room physically and others uh, you know, remotely synchronously and going through the process of thinking, okay, I know I could have done X better. And this book gave me a lot of ideas on, on how to do that. But I, what was nice about the book chats is it wasn't me sitting there thinking and beating myself up like, Oh, I could have done this better, but being able to bounce some ideas off of some other people and thinking about, okay, yes, next time we can try this or in my, next online class that I'm teaching is asynchronous, you know, what are some ways that I can take these ideas of how to teach well, like you mentioned, Teresa, keeping my pedagogy the same, and using the uh, keeping the pedagogy the same and just using these different tools. Uh, it's sort of like you made me think of how I've been playing the guitar for about 20 years. And I just recently started to learn how to play the bass guitar. And I'm trying to think, okay, what, how can I use my guitar knowledge to play the bass guitar and, and not try to think of this as some monumental in 20 years, I might be good at the bass guitar. I'm not really that good at the guitar anyway, but um, you know, how could I, how could I use this knowledge and keep, keep my core um, my, what do we call it? My non-negotiables. How can I hold on to those and, and still, deliver uh, good instruction to my students. So I really appreciated that conversation and those ideas that just kind of keep me thinking throughout the, throughout the month as we were reading this book. I, I had like a few different highlights too, as well. And, and like, like some of the language that you used, Dusty, the non-negotiables and things made me think about the, um, just the framework for how you set up like the whole book kind of sets up to a point where it's like, Hey, before we even think about this stuff, let's think about what are the norms and how are we going to like set the stage and the foundation for our classroom, throw in a few more metaphors or whatever, like set that background to like, okay, this is now what we can put some other things on. Now we can think about, okay, so strategies and like different things we could do to both strategies for facilitating interactions amongst our students to think about diving into tasks, like all these sorts of things that we can then use that can then lead into building up these math workshops and like all these things like led up to the, the kind of the background of your thinking as a teacher that, you know, you can kind of see even despite the modality, like this is, it kind of seems like Teresa, maybe this is like the thinking behind, that you have the going into a class, no matter what, that, Hey, these are the things that you need to consider going into uh, teaching of any class. And so I, I really appreciate that. I, again, I, I love the books where you kind of get behind the scenes uh, and into the thinking of, of someone and thinking like, okay, what, what do I need to do in order to do this well or with excellence? And then I really appreciate all, well, one, I, I got my little my little tabs here of all the different strategies where 
at the beginning of, uh, of a chapter on strategies, you label like, hey, here's all the strategies in the chapter. Here's a nice table so you can kind of see like what might your needs be and what do they do and what, uh, what are the different uh, uh, categories you lay out with it, like the complexity level, delivery methods, student technology modalities use, interactive slide features, all these certain things. And the fact that on your website, you've got all sorts of different uh, resources that you can use with a lot of these strategies as well. And then finally, in chapter nine, one highlight that I wanted to put out from the chat is we talked about you, you would name some, some ways to do uh, the learning stations. And you have this sentence that really sticks out to me. You know, here are a few examples that you can modify to help reimagine your math class online. And it's like you, you do all this stuff to set up like, hey, here's, here's some things you can do. But then it's like this sliding it back across the table and be like, it's up to you. Like you need to think of like, what is your classroom all about? What are the principles? What is the foundation you've laid? And then thinking about how do you use these things that we've put in, that you've, you've put into the book in enacting your own classroom. And I, that's what I like is like, you've opened up possibilities. And I think that's where, you know, we talk about the timing of this, of talking about this book, like, Oh, it might be, it's a year late. Like, no, maybe it's right on time. And thinking about, we all now have the vocabulary. We've, as Dusty said, we talked about synchronous, asynchronous, and all these different, even modality. I, I don't think I'd ever used modality before <laughs> this, this year uh, much. But thinking about all those different things that we now have the language and we now have like the, or even the need, like, oh, I need to have different ways of interacting uh, in a um, online or in a, even a, a, even a face-to-face space. I can use these sorts of things to accomplish the things, the goals that I have for my classroom. And so um, I just appreciate that whole reimagining your math class uh, line over and over again. And like, thinking about what does it look like to do the things that you want to do using some of these things I put out or even to jump off of these things and think about your own ways in order to, again, accomplish the goals that you have. And so um, that's, that was one of my highlights. And, you know, some of the things that you bring up there goes back to my background as I will forever identify as a math coach, no matter what role I'm in. And what you just mentioned there is the heart of this, that um, not only do I recognize that there are different types of teachers out there, but I'm going to value that people are different than me. They have different things that they're going to value in their classroom. So what I try to do is give a glimpse of it and then say like, and these are the reasons I did it. So, you know, in the early parts when I'm talking about what are the protocols that I use in my classroom, I'm going to bring up safety as one of them and be very clear that this is a non-negotiable for me and here's how I address it. Um, And, you know, when it gets into other things that may or may not be um, non-negotiables, I'll go ahead and, and, and call it out. And part of that is naming it. So, um, you know, as a coach, when I work with another teacher, I'll ask them like, hey, what do you want your perfect classroom to be like? And as they describe it, what I'm really doing is I'm rephrasing in pedagogical terms. I'm renaming it. Okay, you want structure. You want um, student voice. You want this. Great. Now I know what resources to go to to support you with this. So that's exactly what the book's doing. It's naming it so that you can pick it up and say, oh, Wait, I do want structure. Where's the parts with structure? Let me grab those pieces. That's going to really work for me. Um, and so as a coach, I'm always going to recognize that people learn differently and their needs are different and their goals are different. Um, and so being able to name it and showcase it is one of the best ways for people to be able to find something that works for them. Absolutely. 
So this is the teaching math teaching podcast. And so we kind of talk like, I mean, this is getting to that, you know, tapping into your, uh, your inner role of being the uh, math coach always and forever. And so thinking about that and thinking about how would you use this book to teach math teachers? What, what advice might you have for anyone uh, or how you use it or how might you use it or how might our listeners use it to uh, teach math teachers? So I, I teach a variety of, of teachers. I, um, I teach math to the elementary ed folks. I teach the, um, the uh, content and pedagogy classes to the secondary folks and also to in-service math specialists. So I've got kind of three categories that I'm uh, teaching courses in at George Mason. And specifically for my pre-service teachers, I like them to look at vignettes in videos. And I want them to take those apart. What would you have done here? Why would you do this differently? What did they do and what came of it? Um, and so uh, part of this is really bringing out vignettes. Uh, and then one of the things, so I think we'll get to on my website, I have a lot of videos, really raw footage mm -hmm. of just a straight one hour. Here's what you got. Um, and part of that is so that pre-service teachers can look at something and say, oh, right here. This is what my professor was talking about with asking open-ended questions, but she didn't ask an open-ended question here. She closed it off and like, why, what, what was the reason for that? So um, the vignettes in the books, the videos on the websites are really a great opportunity to pull something apart, unbox it and, and talk about why you would do that and why you would do something different. Um, I would love it when pre-service teachers can really glimpse at something and, and put themselves in the, those shoes there. Um, and then looking at uh, if you know you're teaching in-service math teachers who want to be math leaders or math specialists, um, I really enjoy looking at it through the lens of you know here's a vignette of something that happened in a classroom, and you're working with another teacher who wants to do something similar in their classroom. They have different needs to be met. Um, they have different personalities. What things would you transition and what things would you need to, to change? Um, and so really each vignette is kind of this glimpse of now you're in that shoes, come on out, what would you change? And when we have those discussions, those reflective discussions, um, that's going to build upon um, topics of productive struggle, of open-ended questions, of student voice, of representations. Um, I, I think I'm listing off those eight math teaching practices. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but right. So, um, so by asking questions about vignettes, as opposed to this theoretical, you know, um, idea. It's like, no, this is what Miss Henry just asked. Like, what would you do now? Um, and so that's how I use it in teaching is really dissecting, picking it apart, changing it, um, and uh, really putting themselves in, in their shoes and what they would do in that situation. Yeah, I think that I just want to shout out again, to the, the, those vignettes, the little yellow parts and you know, basically at the end of some uh, section of the text where you see like, oh, here's, this is what it looks like to enact this in class. And it's like real language going back and forth between the students and the teachers. And and I really uh, do appreciate that part of it because it, it makes it come alive, you know, because I don't know, I, I've, I've got a number of different strategy books and that is what's missing is the okay, but what does this actually look like? Like, I mean, even, even to the point of what, what do I say to start this off if I, if I haven't done these sorts of things in, uh, in my classroom? So yeah, definitely shout out to those. And then the, the ability to 
dissect them and, and take the pieces uh, apart in order to, all right, what would we do here? How do we act if a, a student said this to us or uh, vice versa if I want, or thinking more broadly about what, how do I facilitate this if I'm a teacher too, to do it with my own practice. So Dusty, how about you? How, how might you use this with your teaching? Yeah, I like the vignettes a lot. Um, and I, so I, I'm not going to re-say everything Teresa said because she said it better than I could. But I, I like the fact that uh, pre-service, I'm thinking about using this with pre-service teachers. Yeah. Um, that instead of them thinking, well, I would use an online activity. Okay, how, how would you use that? What would you do in there? So these give us some real handles to to grab onto to think, how we're doing this online activity, especially for pre-service teachers. Um, I think uh, it would be helpful, but really I think for all teachers, as we, I think, let me back my sentence up here. I think sometimes working with in-service teachers is nice because they have these teaching experiences already uh, in their past and they can, they can move on and move forward on those. Whereas with pre-service teachers, sometimes they're thinking about the experiences they had as a student and maybe they weren't thinking as much about um, uh, how to teach uh, back when they were a student, say as an elementary school student. Uh, but I think this, these vignettes bring out some many different ways and illustrate what, what we can do with that. And with the vignette, um, it, it's really focused on, you're just looking at certain things. So there's not, you can get a lot out of a video, but you can also see a lot of things that maybe as the, as the math teacher educator, I, I don't want the students to think about everything that's there. I want them to think about this, this two page or three page conversation that's been transcribed. Um, I also would maybe use this to encourage the students to do to create some of these things like I was looking at uh, which one doesn't belong activity and these are some things that I'm really um, I like myself and I kind of challenge myself to create a which one doesn't belong but I think having students having uh, future math teachers pre-service teachers create these things gives them a lot of experiences and then having their their peers um critique those things, whether it's a which one doesn't belong or, or one of the many other things that are here, I think could be helpful. So those are some, so those are a few ways that I would use that. Um, one other way is I think in having some conversations with, with other teachers and looking at the reviews uh, on online, like Teresa, I'm on Goodreads. And when I finished reading your book, I, you know, uh, marked, I've read this book, uh, you know, Teaching Math at a Distance by Teresa Wills. And looking at some other people's reviews, some teachers were, some people were saying, oh, yeah, once you get past part one, which is kind of all the groundwork, it gets really interesting. Um, but I think it, even, even that, that part one, setting the stage, like Joel, you had mentioned, before we talk about all the fancy stuff we're going to do online, you know, what are our norms going to be? Or what are the, what are the things that are really important to teaching no matter what the modality is um, so i think those are really good things to some some good require, required reading um, maybe to think about how we're addressing these things you know, how we're thinking about um, student access to technology you know this was a big sudden you know in in march and april in my local school district of last year it was like oh uh we're doing not much 
for this month. It's just teachers are doing review. And if you can get onto Google Classroom, which was the local district's platform, you're going to be reviewing these things. Otherwise, come by uh, such and such a building and we'll have a printed off packet for you. And I really like, I think you have a great discussion in that chapter of here are the key things that you need to think about in terms of access um, and as, as we move forward. So I think that's, I think the rest of the book is great, but I think those things, those chapters you intentionally put at the beginning um, need to need to be looked at as well because they, they just help bring up some good issues. I got a, a, a while, a, well, going back to the, the vignettes, um, I do I actually want to see if, uh, Teresa, I know you're into technology, obviously, but uh, have, you ever, have you ever played around with uh, either Teach Live or Lesson Sketch or any of the other, like, um, basically a way to recreate practice? Have you ever played with any of those, I Teresa? haven't yet. Mm -mm. So Teach Teach Live has like avatars. It's from the University of I think Central Florida. We've had it at the University of Mississippi for a while, where it's like there's an actor that enacts like five students in a classroom, and then like someone teaches to them. And we've done it virtually. We do it in. A, we have like a lab where you can do it. Where it's like it's basically like you're kind of like a video game, but you're kind of the controller, and someone's reacting to you as you teach to them. Or uh, lesson sketch is where it's maybe you've seen it's like these blue cartoon people where you can create like a classroom. Well, what's cool is like doing some of the things you're talking about with the vignettes, you could use these scripts and almost like scripts in here as like, hey, this is how these students might react to this problem, right? So I'm going to have my... I'm going to have my pre-service teacher enact this problem. Here are some potential responses you could use given from this, you know, script or vignette. And then that allows for a little bit, you know, diving in deep, like, and actually, and you can record it. And then, so like this video can then be like, I'm like in the vignette, like living it out and trying to see. So that just kind of popped into me, like having, what are the ways can you use to like use technology to like dive into an experience to really get that practice of saying like, okay, I've anticipated, now how am I gonna sequence some of these things? What are the responses I'm looking for? Like, oh, I heard all these different things. How can I build that to whatever my goal is uh, for the class? And like, that's getting to another level, but like having this material in here can, can allow us to get past the, you know, just classroom management stuff. We can really dive into like the, the, ta the math tasks and, and thinking about what does that look like in this, these virtual spaces. So there's a couple different ways to think about how possibly to that use the book. That sounds really cool. I've, I've done a lot of role-playing where students will have a script. Sometimes they'll have a, a secret script uh, from others, and then they'll just role-play the situation, act like the, um, the student, or say some of the things that are there. Um, and then afterwards, they kind of go back and they reflect on, you know, what are the different pieces they had. Um, but Wow. Okay. I'm definitely going to be looking into this all summer long. Now I've got my homework for the summer. All right. So shameless plug, uh, Amanda Maluski, Joe Sweeney, and from University of Mississippi and uh, Amanda Maluski from University of Michigan. And I wrote a book called on Ran or a book. We wrote a, a chapter or an article in Sight, one of the uh, AMTE sponsored uh, publications. There we go. Um, where we talked about on ramps to professional practice. And that's where we talk about like teach live and um, lesson sketch. So that could be, again, this material could be, uh, I think, nice to use in conjunction with something like that. And or, again, until you actually throw a, a messy task in front of somebody and then seeing like, what are these, 
man, I don't know what these kids are going to say. Like if we can kind of, you know, narrow the gap between, uh, you know, never doing it and, and doing it full force, like having some sort of middle space, I think is going to help again. It's like an on-ramp on-ramp, get you up to speed in order to do it in your own practice. So, but again, the vignettes offer the material in order to do that. And, and I appreciate your inclusion of that within the text. Any other ideas on how we can use this book? If anything else that was not mentioned. So the, the, the last part of the book where you were talking about uh, assessments and homework, I think um, did a nice job of reframing what uh, the purpose of assessments and homework are. Uh, because one of the things I teach in a math department and uh, one of the things that mathematicians in general are concerned about is that um, is, is academic integrity. And I'm not saying other people aren't concerned about that. Um, but when we had the quick transition to online, and even before that, in the slow buildup to trying to offer more things online or thinking about offering things online, homework and assessments, um, uh, especially summative assessments, were a real sticky point. And um, I think that, uh, Teresa, you offer some, some nice ways to reframe what, what is the purpose of, not, not reframe, but clarifying the purpose of assessment and the purpose of homework and offering some things that uh, really fulfill those purposes in a different way than just a straight um, online application of the things, the 30 problems on a worksheet or the 30 problems out of a book, now we're asking you to do it online, um, I think are, are really, is really helpful, at least to getting someone to think about uh, there might be other ways to do this. Uh, for example, I think when we were having the chat and you mentioned photo math and you were like, you know, this, this might get me in trouble, but I don't mind photo math or I like photo math. Um, and yeah, that's a, that's a tool that's out there. Um, I think I remember Sam Otten talking about that at, at some point, like this is, this is a tool that's out there and how can we offer this to students as a resource and still achieve the purposes of students thinking independently, um, and, and kind of building their understanding or demonstrating their mathematical understanding. Um, so I, I think that's worth a read as well for people, um, it's, it's not that, oh, you know, we're going to have all of these different webcams and a webcam on you from the back. And, you know, your your browser is only allowing you to look at this one uh, PDF while you while you click, you know, multiple choice answers. You know, that's that's not where I want to be headed. Uh, it use, that's not where I want to use the technology. I want to use the technology to bring out uh, student understanding. Absolutely. That's, that's where it is. I mean, if we talk to mathematicians, if we talk to a people who are doing mathematics and engineering and programming in the field, it's not about memorizing some, some set of steps. It's about taking what you've learned from those and applying it to this new situation with a tweak. And so you've got to tweak your steps or tweak your, um, your regular way of doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we're going to be looking at homework and assessments, um, we could look at this the virtual way of being, oh, gosh, I don't have X, Y, Z. But instead, I like to look at it as 
gosh, what do we have? We have video. We've never really taken advantage of video in an in-person class because the problem there is everyone else can see and hear. Where now you're kind of private. And so you really can bring out the video. You can bring out images and more. Um, and so when students are the creators uh, of, of doing the math, it's going to be so much better. Um, one thing that I know we do in the U.S. is we teach all these different types of unit of measurements, right? Like kind of, and how do we do it? Often with proportions, setting them up, cross multiplying, right? Like it's, there's not a lot of hands-on but now we're asking every kid at home to go get a quarter cup measuring cup and show it to us. And we see all the different ways that it could look like, oh, those are all different cylinders. Let's check that out. Um, what's the most ideal shape and more. Um, and so it brings the real world like directly into your classroom. You just can't avoid the real world because that's all you got to work with. Um, and so, yeah, so when homework and assessments are taking advantage of the things that you didn't have in an in-person class, you can really get into some investigations and you can look at mathematics as a problem to solve as opposed to arithmetic to do. Yeah, I love how you made that point uh, initially with your own little vignette at the beginning of the book, too. Are you teaching arithmetic? Are you teaching mathematics for understanding? And so thinking about that and, and bringing, like, um, bringing that back to, I actually don't know where I was going with that. But anyway, I just appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate the difference between that, thinking about the arithmetic and, and, the, um, and, and doing, actually doing mathematics. So. I'll stop there. I have um, one other comment here with, um, you know, teaching this with, um, with math teachers. And early on in chapter one, I talk about breakout rooms, mm -hmm. but the neat thing about that uh, little chart there. So what it shows is the gradual release of breakout rooms when you might have just two people in a room for two minutes with a really low level task all the way up to, okay, They've their use of the technology. Let's increase the size, increase the math task all the way up to, you know what? I can put five kids in a room for 15 minutes and they're investigating the whole time. Like, how do we get there? And I think that's something that pre-service teachers, even in-service teachers ask all the time is how do I get my class to this beautiful, wonderful place where I want it to be? What are the steps along the way? And we'll hear this word gradual release. But what does that actually mean? Like, how do I do that? And so one of the things I try to do in that breakout room graphic is bring up, this is one way that I use gradual release. These are the things that I want them, that want the students to do at each step of the way. I want you to show that you can be nice to each other. And I was a middle school teacher first. Like, I get that. We've got to show respect for each other. We need to show that we can use the technology. And before we can get to the representations part, um, you know, we need to make sure that people are comfortable adding images and screenshots and things like that. Um, but it doesn't happen overnight. There are steps. And that's what gradual release looks like. Once pre-service teachers can see it in that, at that frame, they're going to start to see gradual release in all sorts of different areas of their pedagogy. And that actually reminded me of what I was trying to say before. <laughs> this is crazy fun. Uh, but purpose, like when you talk about with purpose, like the things that you're doing with purpose, like the, this idea of gradual release, like I'm 
I am doing these things. I'm doing this warm up. I'm doing this like where you're having them do certain things. I put in the picture of things like that, that, or the gradual release that you just described. It's to the purpose of getting them to this certain point. It's not just doing a bunch of, you know, disassociated activities. And well, it's even just like the book, there's purpose, like part one is where it is. And then each of these strategies are there to get to this point where we can look at messy tasks. We can do these learning stations. We can do these things like, there's purpose in there. And so like, it seems like that overall and even with what you described is like to have that, like the or even with what Dusty was talking about before too, with assessments and homework, it's like, well, what is the purpose of this thing? You know, is it to like photo math, like it's allowing them, maybe exposing them to one way to do a task. Okay. So now maybe even thinking of multiple ways to do a task in order to get them to really understand what's the, what is the mathematics behind this or find the photo math like solution and now break it apart or do it. What would happen if you switch things up or whatever? So anyway, having some, the, the purpose and, and I appreciate that. It seems like throughout, it's like you're answering that why question over and over again. So as we get closer to the end here, Teresa, what about tips? So like, you know, we, we talk about these, you know, how would you use this? But like, what are some tips? Like if someone, you, you know, you see someone in the bookstore, they're, they're picking it up, like, and they're looking at it and which would be cool. Wouldn't it be cool, Dusty, to like have somebody pick up your book at a bookstore and you're like, hey, guess what? No. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> that would be cool. So what, what would be some tips that you'd have uh, for working with teachers using the book? Like what, what might be some tips that would be for them? Absolutely. So the first most important thing is you learn through doing. That's what the heart of this book is about is kids doing. So if you're a reader, yeah, read it. Get, you know, get excited, get motivated, um, but then go and do it. So every single activity that's in here, every short little routine, every um, big rich task and more, I've got uh, on my website, editable copies of it. So, you know, you don't just go on and you get some uh, stock image that you have to kind of redo for your class. No, instead you, you go and you get the which one doesn't belong routine and you put your own images in and then you go and you, you do it with your class. You decide, what did I like about that? What didn't? And then you try it again. You try some other things. Um, and so the biggest tip I can say is take advantages, take advantage of the resources. Um, so, when you're learning something new, um, you can learn how to do it, or you can kind of learn how to make it. Um, but that part is already taken care of for you. So all you need to do is the do it part. Um, take an idea and go and implement it. You're going to get so much more out of it by actually doing the activity. Um, and you'll be able to relate more with the vignette and the uh, reason why the teacher did what they did. Um, so that tip is just do it, do the math, do the routine, do the pedagogy and um, go back to it afterwards and decide what you liked about it and what you're going to keep for your classroom because you're a unique teacher. And another, again, shout out and we did this a couple times during our chats was to um, our episode with Jen Wolf, where she just went through and drew a lot of the resources that you had from that website. And to, you know, when people are like, what am I going to do? How am I going to teach coming up this next year with it's going to be completely different. So a lot of your resources, like that, the stuff that you put on your website is gold from the Mather days uh, videos and everything that's associated with the book and all those templates. Like I, again, I'm going to put a 
exclamation point on that is to uh, go check out all that stuff. Cause again, like you said, they can either make it or you can do it. And like, if it's already made, like that's, you know, we're not going to be chiseling out some wheels, right? We've already got them. So let's, we can go and use them. So that's excellent. Any other tips? I think the other tip is um, you'll notice in some of the things that I've pre-made. So I've got a lot of templates out there, but they are relatively blank. Really what I do when I make something for students to interact online is I make spaces for their thinking to go. So if I want them to insert an image of a graph, whether they got it from some graph maker online, they sketched it in their notebook, they got it from Desmos, they got it from anywhere, I'm going to make a space and even put on their paste graph here. Um, the neat thing is when I have five different groups working, and they have the same template of paste graph here in its upper right-hand corner. Now I'm moving between all five groups and I'm seeing the way that graph changes because maybe I gave them all a different problem with a different X uh, or a Y intercept. Um, maybe I'm seeing, you know, which ones are the same. My students, when they're in small breakout rooms, they're like, oh, wait, group one, they've already put their graph in. We need to do a graph too. Um, so by creating a space, you're helping students to be self-starters. They are the ones putting their work, their thinking, their voice on the slide. You're not spending all night working on slides because all you did was come up with the space. Um, and it honors them of taking ownership in your class. So uh, the other tip I have is if you're working really hard on something, ask yourself if that's something that they could be doing. Should you maybe just provide a space um, a space that says group three, your names, and a text box at the bottom that put final group thoughts. Um, how much blank space do you give them? Um, and are your directions clear enough that they can be self-starters? And can they use, you know, other, um, other people's work to help them to become self-starters? So those are things that are really important to me as uh, an instructor is, uh, you know, making sure students know what to do. They know how to be successful. And it's their work going up on the slides. Anything else? Dusty, you have any, you have any tips? You have anything you want to add? Well, that reminded me of, uh, of some of a quote uh, that Teresa has in her book about uh, don't do anything that a kid can do. Um, and so I, that's a, that's a real challenge for me and, and maybe for many teachers to, you know, one of the things I, I like to do is I like to help students learn things. And, and sometimes the, the bad part of that comes out is where I'm, I'm kind of showing them exactly what to do, or that's, you know, how I was as a novice teacher. It's like, oh, you want to know how to graph a line? Well, let me show you. This is how you graph a line. This is what you do. Um, and, and growing to the point where now I'm asking them questions to where my own kids are like, you know, dad, I'm not going to ask you this math question because you're not going to answer it. You're just going to ask me a related question. Like if I ask you what's what's 38 times two, you come back with, well, what's 40 times two? <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, um, but that's, uh, you know, wanting to show them some things instead of uh, that. But I guess uh, one tip that I will, I don't know if this is a tip or if this is just something I like about the book is, uh, Teresa, you're not claiming that these are all of Teresa's great ideas from Teresa at the very beginning, but you've really pulled together a lot of resources that are best practices or that are um, some really um, 
good thinking that, that people have been putting together for years. And you're, you're just saying, and here's how we apply this, or here's how we can apply this in an online setting. I even, even back to the, the, the initial, uh, illustration you gave about, you know, when you had a child, everyone had advice about here's how to raise your child. And then you had a second child and even all of your good ideas about how, what worked with the first child are not necessarily going to work with the second child. And I have three and Joel, you do as well. I think we could say, Hey, the third child. Yeah. It's also a new game. Um, And so uh, it, it with teaching a class or with teaching online um, with each different group of students, um, things are going to be different, but, um, I just like how you pooled and help us, uh, take all this knowledge that, that was out there and you kind of put it in one spot for us to think about a way to do it online. And you gave me the freedom to think, okay, this is what Teresa says, but what do I think? And and you're okay with that about how I can, um, apply this to my own classes. Um, so yeah, I really like that. Exactly. That's the heart of it. You know, we, I talk in the book about making sure that student voice is honored throughout your math class. As if you're talking the whole time, you're doing all the learning, not that Mike. How do we honor their voice? Um, And something that's very near and dear to my heart, because I'm always going to identify as a math coach, is honoring teacher voice. Um, And teachers' classrooms are different. Uh, But if you can name it, if you can name why this is important to you, Um, you're more likely to continue doing things that you really want to do and be able to identify the things that are maybe your obstacles that you would like to overcome or you would like to change. Um, And so a lot of this is naming it so that you can decide what's the recipe that's going to work for your kiddo or in this case, your classroom full of kiddos. I think that's great. That's, 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 uh, that's a great way to, put a a stop on this uh, episode, but that's not a stop to the learning. Again, the no guilt book club, there's lots of resources out there. Um, There's the, all the book chats are going to be available are available and we'll put links to it into the uh, show notes for this episode. We'll also put links to Teresa's website and I'm actually going to let Teresa just anything else to promote. I know we got, we got the book. Obviously we'll have a link to the book there and we'll have a link to the website. Maybe, um, a little bit, I mean, we, there's book resources on the website. There's links to the Mather Days. What else is on your website? Because I know you've got a great website. Absolutely. So I try to make a lot of resources that are tailored for educators to grab, make the tiny tweaks you need to so they're fully editable and then ready to launch right into your class. Um, I've got on there the Mather Days, which you've heard a couple of times. So TeresaWales.com slash Mather Days um, is all about each and every Saturday, which you're welcome to join, um, we do a one-hour math block. We start with a little community building, go into a math routine, go into a rich task, and have a purposeful mathematical discussion at the end where we tie together representations. Um, To me, that's my ideal math block. Uh, And so I've got 50 recordings, over 50 hours of, um, you know, each one, a new task, a new one. Uh, So, you know, if you're looking for rich tasks to do in your classrooms, check that out. You're going to get them. Um, I've also got a lot of routines. I'm really into this recently is figuring out how to adapt routines into um, this virtual space and give teachers video of it, you know, unedited 
completely full of bloopers videos so you can figure out you know what to do in the moment so everything from number talks so which one doesn't belong open middle notice wonder see then see what comes next um things like numberless word problems clothesline math and more there what i do is uh, a little shot of each of those things so you can see how to do it online and the cool part is it's not the same um, set of activities that I do online. You know, I'll change it up. What is the most important part of unit chat? Hmm. The most important part is that every kid sees a different unit and they identify what the unit is that they saw. So make, let me make sure there's a space for every kid to show that. Um, what's the most important thing of the convince me that routine? It's that they have a place for representations. So let me make sure that there is a place for a number line model, an area model, a set model, some of these different parts. Um, and even using the resources from like Estimation 180 is one of my favorite websites. Um, how do I give more student voice? Finding a place for literally every single kid to type in their too low estimate, too high estimate, and just right. Um, and I use color in this so that I can track that. Joel, you're the bright green. I can see which ones you're too low, too high, just right. And I've got some accountability uh, purposes to that there. So those are some things, and many of them came right out of the book. I've just expanded on them. Instead of one problem, I've done 50 instead of five routines. I think we're up to about 20 different routines here. Uh, so those resources are there for educators. You've got templates, videos, pick them apart, work with your pre-service teachers, ask what you can do better. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you. This was a fantastic uh, end to this uh, No Guilt Book Club. Uh, thank you for putting the book out there. Just, it's wonderful. Again, I think books are amazing, especially like given all the expertise and connections you made to uh, great stuff that's in math education. Just chock full of uh, this and then on the website too that we can uh, take advantage of for teaching math at existence. So just, again, really appreciate your time. Thank you for everything. Thanks to Dusty for joining us as well. So thank you, Teresa, for you. And then uh, thanks again to all of you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We hope that you're able to implement something you just heard. You should be able to implement something. Come on. And take an opportunity to interact with other math teacher educators. All right, that was it. The final episode in the book club in a bonus series. We're going to start putting out some full episodes in the very near future, probably about two weeks from when this podcast is released. And we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to kind of kind of doing a little bit of rethinking about the podcast, thinking about, hey, how do we really embrace this mission of teaching better? And I think we're going to revisit some topics, but we're also going to dive further into some books, some other things, and, you know, some of the stuff that you like about the teaching or about this podcast uh the Amazon planet podcast so we're looking forward to that and i hope that you stay for the ride now if you like this podcast if you like any of the podcast episodes share them and you don't have to share this one but share the one that you think somebody should listen to well there's 50 this is 52 there's 52 episodes so if there's an episode that you think someone needs to hear go ahead and share that one and then i see who's listening to what and like if there's more episode and then i kind of see oh this is, these are the things that people want to hear more of. And so I kind of shapes like where are we going to go in the future? And I, I kind of see what, what, who's listening to what, or not who, <laughs> I know you, I know who's out there. No, you can see what episodes are being listened to. And that kind of shapes, you know, some of the content going out there, but also I, I don't want to limit that. I, I want to expose you to more stuff, but if there's something that you think somebody else needs to hear, go ahead and share it. That's what's cool about this is when I hear somebody talking about, teaching with these open-ended problems, I'm going to 
share with them my teaching with problems and problems of teaching uh, episode. I think that was episode nine, maybe, with uh, about Magdalene Lampert's book. Or if somebody is interested in hearing about Bob Moses, I can share episode 50. And so, again, share the things that you like. That would be the biggest way that you could support this podcast. That's one thing. Another way you could support the podcast is to subscribe yourself. So if you're not subscribed yet, hit the follow button, hit whatever, subscribe. So this, uh, the next time uh, we publish an episode, it, it shows up in your feed. You can do that. You can subscribe to the Amazon Planet download. You can do that at AmazonPlanet.com. That's giving you resources and updates from Amazon Planet, where the Amazon Planet Podcast Network is ever expanding, as we talked about earlier today. So you're going to get some updates on that. But then any other resources I find out about, I put in that thing. So you can do that at AmazonPlanet.com. There's lots of join the email list buttons. You can also follow at Amazon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. And you can also check out the Amazon Planet store, Amazon Planet Bookshop. Links are in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com, where you can per- where all of your purchases support the production costs of the podcast. In conclusion, thank you for listening to this episode of the Amazon Planet Podcast. Thanks to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast crew for letting me rerun these things on my feed. Um, I think we've created uh, some value with uh, some of the resources we put together, but thank you to them. Thanks. Um, to uh, Matt Lifflin for the music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you have been given to serve others. Thanks for all that you do. Peace. Peace.